Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and we have a dear friend who is actually all the way from Mission Viejo, but we're in Orlando. His name is Jay Warner Wallace, and he's a cold case detective. So glad to be with you, Dan. We're, here we live so close to each other, and we end up having to come across the country just to see each other. That's crazy, isn't it? Well, you know, what is so amazing with Jim is that he not only has been this cold case detective for many years, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen him on TV, but... He has written a book called Forensic Faith. Tell us about the book, Jim, but also how your training as a cold case detective has affected you looking into really the truth of the gospel. Yeah, for many years I was not a believer and I, I was really not really even interested in the in Christianity because most of my friends who were Christians really couldn't make a case for why they thought it was true. And then as I kind of learned how to become a detective and learned the skill set that you use as a detective, I began to examine the gospels to see if they were reliable eyewitness accounts. And when, once I became convinced they were, I wrote about it in a book called Cold Case Christianity, and, and I started to travel and ask people and talk to people at churches, for example. And I got a sense that, sadly, most of us as Christians, if you were to ask us, can you give me five reasons why you think the Bible is reliable, or give me the evidence that you think supports the truth of the resurrection, would probably find ourselves under-equipped. And that's why I wrote Forensic Faith. This is an effort to kind of help people see that their duty and really their calling as Christians involves them being able to make a case for why this is true. We're trying to help Christians take a more evidential, uh, a serious look at what they believe and live it differently. So I'm just trying to give principles, clear investigative principles that detectives use that hopefully will help Christians become more reasonable and evidential in their views. So you are used to going back a long way and looking at evidence. What sort of evidence did you use for this book? Yeah, I think people don't understand the, cat the broad categories of evidence. And there are just two forms of evidence, right? There's direct evidence, which is purely eyewitness accounts. That's it. And then you have indirect evidence, which is everything else. So if I make a case using DNA or fingerprints or any form of forensic evidence, I'm actually using indirect, also known as circumstantial evidence. And I think people need to understand that's a very viable form of evidence. As a matter of fact, probably about 80% of cases in America are entirely circumstantial. And uh, judges instruct jurors to treat that evidence as equally meritorious, equally uh, valuable as eyewitness testimony. So here's what's great about that. If you know that's the case, it turns out there's a number of things you could look at in the historical accounts of the Gospels to determine whether or not they're reliable. And more importantly, if we are Christians right now, we probably are raising kids. And our kids, that generation of kids, say between 15 and 30, I'm an older guy now, but that generation of kids is walking away from the church in staggering numbers. And when you survey them and ask them, why are you walking away? 
the vast majority of responses have something to do with an objection, which was based as an evidential objection, that they didn't feel somebody could answer for them. Mm. So it turns out if, if we as parents had a more evidential faith, what I call a forensic faith, that's really grounded not just in uh, what we have experienced of, of Christ, because we all have an experience, but is also grounded in the claims, the truth claims of Christianity, so we can help our kids see this is true. Well, then there may be a season where they'll wander, but they'll eventually come back to the truth because it is, unfortunately, or fortunately for us, true. And that's what we want to help uh, this book, Forensic Faith. So you're obviously used to interviewing people, you know, witnesses or whatever. Let's say you were sitting there in front of one of the disciples, one of the apostles, maybe Peter, you know, a bit of an unusual person. How would you interrogate Peter? What would you say to him? Well, it turns out there are actually four ways to determine, four characteristics of reliable eyewitness testimony. The first thing, of course, is were they really there to see what they said they saw? Two is, can they be corroborated in some way? I don't need a lot, but I need something. And then three is, have they changed their story over time or have they been honest and accurate? And four is, do they possess a bias? So whenever I talk to any witness, I'm really examining them in those four ways. And I I applied that template to the authors of the Gospels, right? We have four Gospels. Uh, uh, two are allegedly written by eyewitnesses, right? Matthew and John. Two are wit- written by people who had access to the eyewitnesses, Luke and Mark, writing Mark's Gospel. So the question becomes, do we think that those accounts are reliable? Now, most of us, if you think about it, do not approach Christianity in this way. Instead, when I will go around the country and ask people, why are you a Christian? I get the same three answers, I'll be honest. I get the first one, the largest group is, I was raised in the church. That's why they're Christians. My parents were Christians. I became a Christian very early. Or two, I've had some experience that, that, that told me it was true, that demonstrated for me it was true. And then three is, well, I used to be kind of a jerk, and then I met Jesus, and I'm not quite so much a jerk anymore. So <laughs> so those are the three categories. Well, yeah. I realized early on that my dad is not a believer, but my stepmother is a Mormon, and I have six half-brothers and sisters all raised Mormon. And if you would have asked them, why is Mormonism true? Why do you think it's true? They are going to give me the exact same reasons in the exact same order. So it turns out that their answers are much like ours, yet we don't believe that that's true. So why do our answers sound like the group that we don't think has the truth? (laughs) Our answers could be better, and they ought to be better, given the rich historic um, nature of Christianity rooted in an event in history called the resurrection that we could actually test. And when we test it, the characters in the the Gospels, the locations in the Gospels, the events of the Gospels, they stand the test, and we can demonstrate that with archaeology and a number of other ways. So I just want uh, the the readers of Forensic Faith to see that they could take a different approach to their Christian beliefs, an approach that actually could give them greater confidence and greater courage in a culture that's really slipping away from us as a group. So if people get a copy of the book, and by the way, who's the publisher? David C. Cook, and they've done all my books, both uh, uh, Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, and now Forensic Faith. So when they read it, what do you hope they'll do? I mean, you know, they, they'll say, well, it's a great book, blah, 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 blah. How can they then appropriate what you've taught them? 
Yeah, I think most of my work is is very copish in the sense that's yeah. we, we are doers, right? We train and then we go out and we deploy. Mm-hmm. And so you train in preparation for the deployment. So I'm very conscientious about that. And I feel like I've offered four things in this book. Number one, I want people to see their duty as Christians. What is your duty as an evidentialist? What is your duty given the characteristics of the gospel and the people who first became believers? Then I want them to be able to train, to get ready. Then I want them to be good investigators so they can understand what is true from Scripture. And then finally, I want them to be good communicators. These are things that detectives learn early on. You know, we know our duty, we train hard, we learn how to investigate, then we learn how to communicate that through a, to a jury uh, in the trial. So what I'm hoping to do is give principles in this book that will help the readers, number one, understand their duty, two, how would I train to get ready for this, three, what are the skill sets I need as a detective to help me mine out the, the, the truth from scripture and test it, and then finally, four, what are the skill sets of prosecutors that they use to convince jurors that aren't are on the fence? And that's what we're trying to do, really, right? We want not not only to, to become good disciples, we want to make good disciples, and that's part of this process. So how did you become a cold case detective? Presumably you just became a cop to start with and worked your way through. So what was the turning point for you? Yeah, I think all the cold case detectives I know work in local agencies, and that's where the vast majority of... And cold cases are just unsolved murders. So I started off working in patrol. I worked gangs for a couple of years. I worked SWAT. Where were you, by the way? I was in an agency called Torrance, Torrance, California. Yeah, Yeah. we're the third largest municipal agency in Los Angeles County. And and that's an agency that we we have our share of activity, and and we're able to learn the skill set. Eventually, I got a signed a robbery homicide and then we moved over and started doing only the unsolved murders and and so that's a skill set and I applied when I started looking at Christianity uh, I was I was immediately I was not interested okay in becoming a Christian I was just interested in mining out the wisdom statements of Jesus as an ancient sage because I heard a pastor say that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived and that struck me you know he says all of our culture is grounded on the teaching of Jesus Christ Western civilization I thought that's not true is it and I thought if it is true here I am as a cop enforcing these laws it might be nice to know the source of these laws sure. so so I started to read through the Gospels just to get the wisdom statements of Jesus. And I was struck immediately by the, the, the eyewitness similarities. When I read eyewitness accounts of an event, they sounded a lot like the, the, the things I was reading in the Gospels. And so I began to test them. Yeah. And that's how I became a Christian. Again, a very evidential. But think about this, Dan. Uh, the first disciples in the first century, that, how, did they, how did they evangelize the world? They did it this way. They approached people and said, hey, the Old Testament predicts X, and then we saw X with our own eyes. They testified as eyewitnesses of the resurrection. That's direct evidence. And so they took a very evidential approach. And I think we could do the same thing. Even though we're not eyewitnesses, we would just simply have to know how to put together the case and present it. And I guarantee if you did that, if you developed a forensic faith, one that doesn't just rely on experience, but relies on a skill set you could develop as a detective, you'll have greater confidence. When I worked in London, I used to do a lot of crime stories. And most of the cops that I met, particularly at Scotland Yard, were the most cynical people I've ever met. How do you, 
How do you keep from being cynical? I mean, I know a lot of maybe your colleagues were, but how do you keep, uh, you know, this this faith that you have? Well, I, it is hard because the, the whole the, the main objective for every patrol officer in America is to get home at the end of the shift. Yeah. And that is our first and primary as officer safety. So you have what they call gallows humor, is it? Well, it's what you do is you if you walk up on that guy who just sped through the uh, the, the red light, yeah. thinking he's just late for dinner, you walk up on it differently than if you walk up on that car thinking that he's uh, tr- fleeing from an armed robbery. Yeah. Now, in the first few seconds, you've got to walk up on the car assuming the worst in the driver because it's going to protect you and get you home tonight. Now, once you discover he's not a, an armed bank robber, yeah. of course, things change. But our first contact, our first approach is usually dictated by our desire to go home tonight. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of that kind of uh, cynicism, you know, seeing the glass half empty yeah. instead of half full, it can be very, very um, – and it's helpful. I'll get you home every night. But I can tell you that I took that same approach when examining the claims of Christianity. So by the time I determined they were true, I, they had already been vetted for me, right? Because I'm, I'm a glass half empty. I'm, I'm, everyone's a liar until they prove otherwise, right, <laughs> when you work as a detective. Yeah. So I didn't trust the Gospels. I had to actually work through them to demonstrate. And that's the skill set I'm going to give you in this book. And my hope is that we, we teach good investigative principles. We've kind of talked about them in my prior books, but I'm very systematic in this book about saying, hey, yeah. if you applied this to the Scriptures, you're going to learn something. Do you, do you feel a lot of the church here in the States is very... You know, it, it, it's not very deep on, on theology. They enjoy the worship music and going to Hillsong or one of these beautiful events. But the teaching doesn't seem all that deep in many cases. I mean, what's your thoughts about what's going on? Well, I can tell you that, and it's, it's really hard to generalize, right? I mean, I mean, there are some great churches doing great work. But what I have seen as a trend overall is that most of us, even if we're in a place where we get great line-by-line teaching, may not be looking at it like an investigator. may not be, because I'll tell you right now, the, uh, the opposite side. When your students go to university, there's a professor there waiting, and nine times out of ten, who has uh, an opposing view and is not a Christian and thinks he has got a well-researched view that yeah. he can make a case for evidentially. So we need to be the kind of people as a, as a group that think in the same way, that have an evidential approach. Because guess what? If you did that, you'd still be a Christian. This holds up. Yeah. You don't have to worry that you can take this approach and you're not going to be a Christian anymore. It's really a matter of how you infer from evidence. We talk about this in the book. And so I really want our young people to, to have a view that even if they're in a church that's not pushing them deep, if they're in a youth group that's not pushing them deep, if they took this approach to their faith, if they had a forensic faith, they would survive in the next generation, the next season of their life life where they're going to be uh, hitting an opposition group that really is well-researched and thinks they they hold the truth when they, in fact, don't. We're speaking with Jay Warner-Wallace, Jim Warner-Wallace, a dear friend who lives very close to uh, myself, He'd, but we've come thousands of miles to this broadcaster's convention. Um, Jim, I just interviewed an actor called Kevin Sorbo, and he's making a documentary on a man called John Lennox, who uh, you probably know all about. And um, I found it very interesting that um, Lennox has been debating people like Christopher Hitchens and um, uh, 
Richard, uh, what's his Dawkins. name, Dawkins. And have you ever taken part in those sort of debates? And if so, what do they achieve? Well, okay, so I'm going to give you my view of debates. I, I, for the most part, have not done a lot of debates, and here's why. I'm the kind of person as a detective who will prepare for five years before I go to trial. And I know if I have a debate that's going to be calendared, I would probably stop my life for six months to get ready for it. So what <laughs> I really love are people like Lennox, like John Lennox, who yeah. is fearless, uh, William Lane Craig. There are lots of other great debaters that are out there on the Christian side. And if you've ever heard a Christian philosopher debating in the sets, and here's John, right, with his background in mathematics, and he's a great uh, thinker, and also he has your wonderful accent, right? Yeah. In other words, he's got an accent that, that we in America think is just so awesome. Uh, John is really a powerful force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And I think what debates do is they help students, for example, who watch debates to realize that we can go toe-to-toe. Our ideas are uh, competitive. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I would say our ideas are the big dog in the yard. Uh, but what typically, because we don't know the case, we don't know how to investigate the case, we're worried that our view won't hold up once the scientist shows up. Yeah. Really? Well, John's great about showing that, in fact, that isn't the case. Yeah. That, in fact, our ideas do stand up in light of philosophy and science and all the other rigorous disciplines that are out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's important for us to have a forensic faith. If people read your book, and again, you mentioned the name Forensic Faith, what a terrific title. Um, can they use that to share the good news with a Muslim, for instance? Right. So what we do is, I mean, if you think about it, I, my whole goal early on was I was surrounded by either atheists in my family or LDS believers, Mormons. And so the approach I took not only quickly verified Christianity was true, but it quickly falsified that Mormonism wasn't. In the years since, I teach a class at Biola where I've had students take that same forensic approach and apply it to other historically viable uh, theological systems like Islam. And the same, uh, it doesn't take very long to discover why those systems aren't true given the same, you know, four attributes, for example, of of reliable ideas witness testimony. These are the kinds of things you can use. But if you don't, here's the whole point though, Dan. I I think that most of us have not realized that we have to shift our thinking away from an experiential faith that's driven by our feelings to a more intellectual, rational, investigative faith that is prepared to to debate in the marketplace of ideas. And let's face it, if I'm going to sit toe-to-toe with a professor or with another thinker, my feelings are not going to count much. And they're going to ask me to move beyond my feelings and experiences to account for something from a rational, uh, ar- you know, to make an argument for it. And I think we can do that as Christians. We just haven't chosen to do it. And that's why I wrote the book, to help uh, Christians realize they have a duty here. You know, we, Peter tells us in First Peter that all of us are to be able to make a case, to be ready to give the answer for the hope we have in Jesus. He doesn't leave anybody out there. You know, Paul says in Ephesians, some are to be prophets, some are teachers, some of you are, are evangelists. That means that some of you aren't. Mm. Now, we all feel a burden for evangelism, but Paul's telling us some of you are evangelists and some of you aren't. Now, Peter doesn't give us that option. (laughs) He says you're all to be ready. So in other words, if you've been a Christian, but you haven't been a Christian case maker, you're living an abbreviated life. Mm. You're an abbreviated Christian life because you're actually called to do more than just believe this. You're called to be ready to give an answer for those who don't. And that's what we're trying to do with Forensic Faith. Is there a place, in your opinion, for... The Hillsong type of worship, you know, the music and the, I don't know whether they have smokes and lights or whatever, but, you know, um, 
when Pastor Chuck used to teach you, it was just Pastor Chuck teaching That's verse right. by verse. But today, it's almost as if that isn't enough for some people. They they want this experience and jump up and down and that. But what are your thoughts on the present-day, quote, worship movement? Well, I think, it's, it's, okay, so it's, it's, we're always looking for a holistic, balanced approach, right? God's nature is a, a perfect balance of mercy and justice. And that's hard for us to, we always, most of us individually, will incline toward one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. So right now we seem to be in a place, uh, culturally, where people are more uh, uh, interested in experience. It certainly seems that way sometimes in Christian circles. And so we, people like me come in and say, hey, 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 I want to pull you back in this direction. I may even sound a bit extreme in doing it. And it's not because I want you to abandon that. I want you to find balance somewhere between these two. So I want people to raise their hands and be engaged emotionally in what they believe they are experiencing. But I also want them to know, is that experience true? And how would I know that? Because there are lots of folks who might raise their hands in in a false religion. Sure. So the question becomes, is that experience you think you're having of the Holy Spirit true? Well, one way we didn't know it's true is if it's grounded in something evidential. And so I don't want you to abandon what that side of who we are. I want you to experience that robustly because I think right now what you've done is you've abandoned the intellectual side of this. And we're trying to find balance between those two. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. When I used to come here in the early days, Jim, the, this was a bit of a circus. The, we'd have Jim Baker prancing around and Jimmy Swaggart and... Oral Roberts, and, you know, it was the most bizarre thing to see that the televangelists had taken over NRB, and, you know, it was actually, you were coming to a Christian circus. Uh, it has changed quite a bit, but what, what, in your opinion, needs to happen to the church in America? And I know it's a generalization to get us back on track. Well, I think it's already happening. The reason why it's shifting, Dan, is because we're in a culture that's more and more hostile. And when you're in a hostile setting, Christianity and the kind of robust, evidential version of Christianity I'm talking about thrives. Think about it. Irenaeus, here he is, about 180 uh, A.D. He is a, a one of the most robust apologists for the Christian faith. Some of the best case makers for Christianity lived in eras in which the church was being persecuted. And so I think what happens here, as, as we are less and less comfortable in a growingly secular culture, we're going to have to make a defense for what we believe. And even if I don't write a book like this, you'll see that things are going to shift toward a more uh, reasonable evidential uh, faith because they're going to have to shift because we're now no longer in the majority where we can just celebrate and do whatever we want and we're always accepted for doing whatever we want. Now we're being tested and young people want to know. know. Let's face it. We are in an information age, right? By the time you're 13, you could have investigated every objection against Christianity from your phone. So it's, we're at a point now where we have to be able to give our young people reason to, 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 to be able to discern between truth and error. Sure. Uh, we, we've got to have a forensic faith. We can no longer have a, a faith that's just driven by our experiences, because if we do, uh, we're going to lose the next generation. Because of this last election and all the anger and hatred that spewed out from it Uh, are you worried that some believers here in the states are spending more time supporting their candidate or president or whatever and less time in talking about the gospel and doing what you say. Yeah, you'll notice if you've ever followed me on social media, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I never post things that are involved in politics. And here's what I always say. Our political divides, our cultural divides are driven by the fact that we don't have a common worldview. 
even the Christians that we, we call ourselves Christians may not have a common worldview. I think if we spent time making the case for why the Bible is true and reliable and why we ought to take it seriously, the other problems will solve themselves because we'll be in more, in more agreement on the cultural issues if everyone believed the Bible was true. And if everyone thought, I need to take it so seriously that I don't just pull a verse out here to, to please myself, I need to read the entire context of Scripture on this issue. So is it true, and do we take it seriously? That actually solves all the other problems. So rather than spend a lot of time arguing about the other problems, hmm. I want to give my life to making the case for why the Bible is true and reliable and why you ought to take it seriously. So should people be debating politics, you think, Christians? Well, I think that we it, there's no way to avoid political discussions, because everything at some point manifests itself in a political decision. So I don't think we should retreat from the discussion at all. But I think we have to, if I want to get to the root of the problem, you have to go to the root of the problem. Yeah. Rather than kind of fool around with why is the leaves, why are the leaves turning a certain color, I want to know what's in the dirt that is causing those leaves to change colors. And it turns out what's in the dirt is our evaporating uh, Christian worldview in which people are not taking this manuscript seriously, and a lot of them are, are simply don't believe it's true. And and they, they, they might be, it might work for them, and may, they may be Christians their entire lives, but they really haven't spent as much time reading their Bibles as they have reading other things, and they certainly have not taken an investigative view. They wouldn't even know how to look at this thing critically uh, to be able to mine out the truth. And so that's a skill set I think we need to return people to. And I think it's time, because with this, the first centuries of Christians were people who actually wanted to know, is it true? Mm. And I don't think that the, the generation we're living in right now even cares sometimes. Right. Is it, does it work? And that's a very different approach to this to the claims of Scripture. So if people want to get the book and also follow you on social media, tell us a little bit how they can do that. Well, they can follow me at coldcasechristianity.com, and I'm all the social media platforms, just as J. Warner Wallace, like Twitter and Instagram and all that. And the book, of course, is available at Amazon and all the booksellers, Barnes & Noble, all the booksellers are available. And we have links, of course, to it also at our website. So, again... Um, I don't know how, do, I mean, do you ever sleep? Because you, you seem to work so hard. I, I check your page regularly and, I mean, how many hours a day do you put into this? Well, I mean, it's become my life, right? So, so when you, when you're, when you're very, very kind of meticulous about your casework, uh, I just shifted my casework, right? My case now is the scripture. So, so I think I've just been meticulous about it. But here's the thing about it. C.S. Lewis said it perfectly right in God in the Dock. He said, hey, if Christianity is not true, it's of no importance. Yeah. If it is true, it's of critical importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Yeah. So once I decided it was true, I had to be all in. And that's one of the things we're trying to call people to do in forensic faith is to see that's their duty, right? You have to be all in. So again, your call to the church is what? It's time to start thinking carefully about why we believe this is true. The world around us thinks that they can just get us to think more critically. We would abandon our Christian faith. It turns out if you think more critically and learn how to investigate more critically, you will actually have a more robust Christian faith. So it's time for us to take on that challenge and think more about what we believe. Jay Warner Wallace, what a fascinating chat. I hope people will go out and get Forensic Faith. And again, it's Cold Case. Coldcasechristianity.com. You'll find all the links. Check it out, and you will see what this amazing detective looks like. And uh, maybe the next crime show he's on, I hope you'll enjoy it. But what he's doing now, he believes, is far more important. So, Jim, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate you. 
You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.